Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. Hope you've all had a wonderful week. Here we are back for number two, second, oh my goodness, I'm... The amount of these introductions I restart, I'm determined not to restart this one. This is the second part of my conversation with Fran Ashcroft <laughs> about his new book that's come out. I hope you've gone to check it out. Uh, and if you haven't, I do urge you to go and do it. We'll talk more about it in the conversation. Um, I've had a really nice week here, actually, because uh, I started doing these funny voiceover things. They're not funny. They're just voiceover things over sessions that I've recorded or the isolated drums, which I'm sure you'll have noticed are the transitions. So as soon as I lead into the podcast you'll hear uh, it's obladi oblada this week which i've sent out on my mailing list um so if you uh, if you don't subscribe to my mailing list you can do that through my website um but yeah my on my instagram at all you need is drums or at joe montague drums i've been doing these voiceover things um that have gone down really really well and i mean i'm not i'm i'm a begrudging user of social media i have to you have to do it that's just part of the job isn't it um, but to finally get a little win like that makes you feel quite good, like you're getting one over on them, but actually you're not. You're just playing their game, and that's fine. <laughs> so if you're interested in that kind of thing, go and check that out. Um, and I won't chew your ear off anymore. We'll just get straight into the second part of my conversation with Fran Ashcroft. Are you ready for my attempt at an advert? Here it comes. Make Noise Pro Audio, a specialist in used pro audio equipment. And since 2015, they've been on an endless quest to supply all things modern, old, vintage, and obscure. Everything from outboard, microphones, synthesizers, audio interfaces, drum machines, mixing consoles, studio monitors, amplifiers, cabling, furniture, and everything in between. Go and check them out at makenoiseproaudio.co.uk. Uh, Sam's a lovely chap. Definitely go and do it. Enjoy the episode. Your first sort of break in the industry was as a as a writer. You had a publishing deal. Yeah. Um, did you yeah, so did you get I mean, that from moving to London, or did you get have that first? Um, no, I used to I used to go down to London regularly because I'd, I'd make me tapes at home, you know, on the, <laughs> the string three quarter inch chips, yeah, <laughs> one old tape recorder, uh, and go and sort of hawk them around. And uh, you know, I used to get a lot of interest, but you know. It wasn't quite there. Of course, it wasn't quite there. I was just a kid, um, so you know, I've just been knocking on doors all day. And uh, I think it was going back to the station to go home, and I noticed a sign outside this building, and it said something for the publishers that I'd never heard of. And I thought, oh, I'll just go in then. Um, and in those days, if you had a tape, um, they would usually see you because not many people had tapes. Mm. Um, you know, the way they were doing it then was they were going to see, you know, bands and whatnot performing live. Yes, yeah. Um, but very few people had tapes, so you could get through the door relatively easily. Um, so I just walked into these publishers and they said, oh, yeah, come on in. And uh, they played the tape, you know, listened to all the songs on it and said, well, um, can I keep a couple of these? <laughs> the guy said, um, I said, well, yeah, all right, and um, that kind of turned into a, a publishing deal, um, which I, I still lived up north when I was doing most of that. 
Hmm. And they sent me a check every week and I'd write songs. Didn't have any limit on how few or how many I had to write. It was all up to me. They were great. Oh, excellent. And, and that just allowed me to develop uh, until such time it felt like, well, I, I really need a band now. Um, moved to London and then started doing that bit. And what do you remember of your first experiences recording um, to over around that time? Um, well, let's see. Strawberry Studios, um, I think everybody was, you know, had a hard time with, because I, I had a drummer and two cello players with me on that one. And um, they had a hard time with headphones or being stuck in an isolation booth. Because it was a very, you know, early 70s kind of studio. Um, I'd never heard such good, you know, sound quality coming out of anything before. Mm. I was I was astounded at the quality of the sound because I'd never been in a studio before. <laughs> and, you know, it was a decent studio. Um, and, uh, just a demo session and, and all that. Um, the other one I, I, that really sticks out in my mind was the first time I went to Abbey Road. And that was something that I'd knocked out in a late track. I'd run at the publisher and said, but a studio in London, we can have a day for 25 quid. So they paid for that. And uh, I went down and did a couple of songs in a day, and uh, on eight track it was. And uh, they said, oh, why don't we go to Abbey Road and we'll mix it. Um, so I went down there and uh, we were fixing it up guitar or whatever whatnot we're in studio three and uh so well I've got my guitar but I've got an amp so <laughs> they're uh the kind of uh gopher guy this old, old bloke in the you know one of those uh warehouseman's overcoat yeah. things wheels it in on a British rail trolley you know this beautiful <laughs> beautiful summer amp um and the, the sound was fantastic and what struck me was how good the engineers were. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, talk about sort of timing things. The A-track uh, recording that I've made, the timing was a bit iffy, and it was like, oh well, we'll just we'll just take this chorus and edit it. And it was like out with a razor blade. They edited the multi-track in that that five minutes of the record. Wow. Um, Three hour sessions, so I did the guitar roll with us, they'd edited that and um so we mixed it and we were finished ahead of time, you know. Um, Fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant standard of engineering uh, in those days anyway. I mean I, that must have been I mean I I, I don't I'm uh, you may not have been, but presumably you were a Beatles fan at the, you know, in the early seventies, so 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 Oh know. yeah, that's yeah. what started me off. Yeah. So I mean Abbey Road must have been a really like a dream come true moment, sort of thinking, I can't believe I've got here. Um, yeah, um, it, it was it's a, it was a combination of sort of not being intimidated by the place, but just the you know the sheer size of it for one thing or whatnot, um, and in some ways the expectation that you would end up there. Yeah. Which is an odd thing to say. Um, well, you've got to have that confidence in yourself, don't you? And you know, you were taking big yeah. risks going down from Preston to London, and and you know, you were actively trying to 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 make an impact in in sort of the industry. 
Oh yeah, I was determined. I, I wasn't going to stop. Um, so you know that was, you know that was a nice moment. Oh, definitely. What was your That's transition uh, from? You know, was that all of these sort of moments of recording at Abbey Road and going to Strawberry? Presumably, were sort of feeding. Maybe you weren't aware of it at the time, but feeding an appetite to to move to production. You know, it wasn't. It can't. You must have ha- had an interest in the production side of it, even though you were a, you were uh, there well, as a songwriter. For me, it was always it was always about records. Okay, I wanted to make records. Um, so, mood production. Two reasons for it, really. Um, after the band sort of folded and that sort of fell apart, um, you know, I, I was I was fed up with the restrictions of being in a band signed to a major label because you can only do one thing you can do the thing that the band does and and I wanted to do all sorts of different kinds of records and I realised I wouldn't be able to do that by having a band Um, and you know obviously over time we've been in studios and whatnot, and you know I had an interest in production I had no idea really where to start um, and I think one day I had a meeting with um, Richard Ogden, who ended up managing McCartney, um, who was a great bloke, very good manager, very astute guy. And uh, I played him, you know, what I was currently doing, you know. He said, well, you know, um, I've just thought about you know, producing or anything like that. And I hadn't really taken it seriously. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I might as well give that a go. <laughs> <laughs> so I gradually got into it. Um, and I sort of, I knew enough about recording because I'd logged a few hours by then. Um, I knew enough to get up the starting blocks. Um, I wouldn't say I knew very much. Um, but obviously I knew how to deal with musicians and I knew what went on in studios. So it kind of gave me a little bit of a foothold uh, to kind of make that uh, move over to production. But, uh, went on to yeah. record at some some studios worldwide. I mean, you must have seen some... You, you just talked earlier about the difference between US and UK, but uh, you've, yeah. there's, you've, you've worked in you know Japan, Belgium, South Africa, Denmark, and... You know, loads of different places. There must be a, a huge contrast between a lot of the way that these different countries operate. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, I mean, America, for sure, as I mentioned before, um, very different. And, you know, I don't think I ever really adjusted to the way they kind of did things there or, or what what their motivation seemed to be, because it certainly wasn't mine. Um and different countries approach these in different ways, and they have different levels of skill. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're working in Scandinavia, the engineers really know what they're doing. You know, they really know what they're doing there uh, from a technical point of view. So you know you're going to get a good sound. Yeah. Um, things like that. You know, if you're working in London, that's a different vibe, and the, you know it tends to be uh, there's a lot more banter. If, working in London and it is that like oh we're going to have having a good time aspect of it yeah. more so than anywhere else everywhere else is a bit more business like as a rule okay interesting <laughs> um, 
sort of Jap- Jap- Japan deal. That, that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're lovely people. They're lovely people. Um, a group of them came over to the US when I was there because they had some shows and whatnot. And it was like uh, it was like kids on a school trip, you know. They they were just uh, delighted with everything. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, but you know, communication is extremely difficult. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had some stuff I've been working on, and uh, and JVC in Japan were interested in it. Um, the the I think the problem for them was. You know, I didn't live in Japan, and I I didn't know enough to understand their market fully, or you know how they approached making records, um, as opposed to you know what you might do in the US or UK. Yeah. So in their eyes, it was like, well, you know, they kind of like the concept, but um, not the finished recordings. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Basically, which was a shame, but it but it was uh, a good experience. Just seeing the contrast of the, you know these different ways of working. Yeah. And, uh, really useful. Also, you know, there's an opportunity for me to get out of the US every year and do a little tour of Europe recording. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, which I enjoyed. Yeah. What are some of your your fondest sort of memories as a producer, or, or particularly interesting experiences that you've found in in different studios? Um, well, from a from a studio point of view, um, working at Trident was great. I thought that was a fantastic studio. What a brilliant room! It was, you know, a, for a band to play in. It's just a brilliant room. You sound better. You, you, everybody feels like it sounds better just because you're in that room. <laughs> yeah. It's a really strange thing. Um, I thought it was a wonderful place, and I was very sorry when it closed. Mm. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just interested in your, your, you know, some particular sort of highlights of your, you know, working in all the different studios. Oh, not, right. not, not many people have had the amount of experience you have had. So you know, I'd, I'd love to. Just know what what bits stand out more than others. Yeah, well, there, there's you know there's a few stand out good experiences and a few stand out bad experiences. <laughs> I'll give you an example of both. Mm. Um, I was working with a French band a few years ago. Well, yeah, only a few years ago, um, and you know they decided to come over here to record. In the studio, I was using uh, the analog one, and uh, lovely people. It was like eight, eight, eight French guys. And the first thing I did, so we got to the studio. I said, "Oh well, um, we'll have to sort of lunch out." So they spotted a, the Iceland or whatever it was. I think it was Iceland. I said, "Oh, we'll have to go in here first. So they went in Iceland, and they filled the bloody trolley with <laughs> with like booze and curry and whatnot. Went back to the studio, and uh, while <laughs> while I was setting up mics and things like that and getting the goose sorted out, they were cooking. <laughs> you know? um, it was great. Uh, um, we had a lovely time, and uh, I see we did a, we, we did an album in three days, I think. Oh wow, fantastic! Um, uh, they were brilliant, yeah, uh, including the mixing. Wow, <laughs> um, fantastic. Great people and great that, that. 
Oh, yeah, that's so, really like the old days, that. It was utterly enjoyed. The whole experience was a, just a, a blast. It was great. Yeah. And then they were, um, they were scheduled, scheduled to go back. And, uh, I thought they'd already gone, and like, the phone went. And I picked it up in its den and said, oh, we're in the pub across the road. Come on in, we're going to have some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so we do that, and then the van gets stuck in the car park. And they had to push it out because it broke down or something. And there was like eight of them pushing this van down the road on the way home to Paris or whatnot. <laughs> it was great. It was really good. And there's all these, you know, the guys in the pub, there's about six people in the pub, and all these old guys, you know, sitting there. And like, suddenly they've got like eight Frenchmen in there, like more people that are in the pub. And there's all this kind of like thing going on outside with a van bumping into the wall of the pub and also <laughs> it was a lovely experience definitely uh, <laughs> uh, as was working with the telescopes oh yeah they were they were fantastic yeah yeah um, brilliant session that was similar thing and you know we were done we had a couple of days booked three days or something we were done more or less a day ahead of time. Oh, fantastic. They were so, you know, efficient when they recorded. It's like, oh, it, everything was first take and it was right. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And you hardly ever come across that. Um, fantastic band, you know, really, really good. Um, going to the darker side of the coin. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's say I've probably been banned from the studio three times. <laughs> Various things. Um, uh, the one in the US probably sticks in mind the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned before, there were a lot of people in America who had studios that didn't have a clue what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, and this was one of those studios. And um, the owners evidently thought that because we put the studio out and I took you know, we had our own engineer and everything. Um, but because they were the owners of the studio, they got to sit at the tape machine and operate it and do all this business. Right. <laughs> and, and I said, well, sorry, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, and I think the, they put in the speakers and, like, you know, the, one of them wasn't working. And then, you know, they sorted it out. Um, <laughs> press play and that just so out of phase it was unreal I thought oh great this is going to be brilliant so I said you know you you, you really need to leave and, you know we've got our own engineer here we can take care of it and they were really pissed off mm. it really pissed them off <laughs> so uh, I was told never to darken their doors again <laughs> uh, which I didn't mind because I wouldn't have done anyway no <laughs> um, Absolutely. And I think, I mean, this is sort of bringing us whole circle. I mean, that's, that's a, a large part of the, of the experience that you show in the book is that the, 
the sort of hard graft that that there is and the the amount of thinking that goes on it's uh you know when when you're working with a producer or or an engineer if you're lucky enough to have an engineer and a producer the the way that the wheels are slicked looks it can look effortless but actually it takes a huge amount of experience and and the way that you are able to articulate that in this in the book is is really i i think really needed at the moment i think there's a lot of information in there that isn't anywhere else you know that a lot of other places are dealing with sort of the headlines of what you're talking about whereas you really dig in and make sure that a lot of those nuances like you're just talking about you know the slog and the making sure that the band's looked after and, and keeping everybody happy and all of all of those little bits of WD forty that help the sessions go go smoothly. They're yeah. they're not written yeah. about anywhere else. I, I think it's fantastic that this book exists. Yeah, because I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a tendency for people to think you know it's just kind of this process where you go in the studio and you just sort of whack out a load of takes and that's it or whatever, and everybody's happy. But it's not. You know, it is. A lot of it's detailed work, and it requires a lot of concentration hmm. on the part of the artist and the engineer and the producers as well. You know, it's not a there. There are too many things that can end up not being right unless you're focused. Yes, and unless you have you know a very clear idea of what you're aiming to achieve, and not going in thinking, oh, well, you know, they'll sort it out in the studio later or whatever. Or uh, we'll fix it in the mix kind of idea. Or we'll fix it when we master it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All this kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the, the thinking about what you're doing is the thing. And listening uh, is, is important. Uh, I missed out in the book, and I should have put this in somewhere, about, you know, Producing a record, the thing that happens when you mix is that quite often you've got the band sitting behind you. Mm. And after about 10 minutes when you start mixing, you know, they start chatting. And, you know, as things progress, the chatting gets louder and louder and louder and louder. You turn it up and they get louder. And you end up just having to turn around and tell them to shut up. <laughs> uh, honestly, you know. Yeah. Because they're not aware of, well, they're not listening anymore and they're not paying attention anymore. No. So if they're not paying attention, they shouldn't really be there, you know? No, I think that's a, again, that's an experience thing that there's a lot of uh, technicalities in, in particularly the first stages of a mix when you're sort of preparing to actually do the balance or whatever that makes, it's quite boring to be part of. And I think... Uh, yeah, unless you're doing something, recording, absolutely boring as hell yeah <laughs> and I, I think unless you're actively doing something yeah that's it and artists feel as though they want to be part of every part of the process but no it's, it's it you know if, if i were an artist working with with a mix engineer i'd want to just hear where they got to not necessarily the process of how they got to it um and i i think that that's yeah. it's um it's hard for for artists to relinquish control to that extent but it's important for a for an engineer or producer to put their foot down occasionally and and um and have that bit of breathing space where they're not not having the artist peering over every two seconds. Yeah, you know, I got to a point where it's like, well, I don't want anybody there when I mix. Mm. I think it's sensible, yeah. Uh, you know, um, and you know, I and I and I always sort of relent on that because um, my thoughts exactly when I was in a band and that is that 
know, I'm the artist. I'm going to be there when you mix, whether you like it or not. If you don't <laughs> let us, we're not going to have you producers. Yeah. You know, simply as that. So, you know, I will allow that because I think it's, it's the artist's right to be there if they want to be. Yes, yeah. Um, but notwithstanding that, you know, if they're not paying attention or whatnot, I'll tell them. Mm. Well, yeah, <laughs> completely. Um, so what what's next for you? What um, you know, you've 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 done an album and a book. It feels like you you deserve a bit of a rest. But have you, have you got anything else that you you kind of got your eyes set on? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, currently, I'm exploring this kind of AI technology. Oh yeah. So you know, you know the the, the way that what they did, you know, remix revolver for whatever reason because they could. Yeah. <laughs> where, you can, where you can sort of, you know, take a mono track and split it inside 50 pieces or something. Yeah. Um, it's got some interesting aspects to it. Um, if you have something that's from probably quite a long time ago that wasn't on a multi-track or isn't on a multi-track anymore and you might feel that it would have a place if it were either remixed or redone or rethought. Um, and uh, it's fascinating that, you know, the AI technology can do that, you know, sometimes for better or worse. But just the idea that that's possible to do, mm-hmm. um, I think opens up a, a range of possibilities, um, which you wouldn't have been able to do before. Um, for example, um, I've got a very old track knocking about that um, I really, really like the piano sound and the drum sound on it, but that's all I like. Okay. And I and I could see being able to use that in a different context. Interesting. Yeah. If I could get that, that just that separated out, you know. Um, so I'm looking into things like that. Um, and seeing whether it, you know you can actually make a viable record that's not like a re-release of something else, but you know is valid in a to a twenty first century place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as a twenty first century record, not a remix or a remaster or anything like that, but something new. Uh, would it work? I love that idea. I mean, um. I'm excited to hear <laughs> where you go with that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, so it got me thinking, that one. Um, I didn't realise until recently, because I mean, I'd, you know, I'd heard about this you know, before, and you know, I knew what could be done. What I didn't realise was how quickly widespread it's become and how easy it is to access. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's like loads of stuff out there. Oh, there's this program, that program, blah, 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 blah. Do it here online for free. God knows what. Um, You know, how sort of just everywhere that it is. Um, So, I mean, God knows what people are going to do other than sort of remix themselves to death for the most part. (laughs) I think it's like anything. It will take a little while to settle down, won't it? You know, the there'll be a flurry yeah. of things happening first that might not be quite so cool, but then 
I mean, a, a great example of it is the Get Back film where they, they use it to separate out the audio. And that's, I think that's a really sensible use of it. Um, I, mean, I thought that was great. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was great. I, whereas I, I think using it to, you know, sort of rebuild Revolver into something that's not as good like it, as it was before is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all about making money, you know. Completely, um, yeah. Uh, so it'll be record. You see, record label thinking, "Oh, great, we can re-release everything again with with AI technology." You know, it's just going to be another sort of, you know, inferior version of what we started off with. Yeah, yeah, the, the cash cow, isn't it? Um, where can people yeah. find out about your the um, the record that you've got out the the uh, tour of British duck ponds? Um, the record is in. Think like a key on on think like a key label, T L A K. Um, but uh, it's available everywhere, I suppose. Um, that way, um, and the book is well. Just Google it. It's, everybody, I think, has got it. And then retailers have it as far as I know. Yeah, I'll put links uh, to it in the uh, in the show notes too. I think if you yeah. if people just search, so it's it's called the analog approach to digital recording and mixing, and uh, and yeah, which is a bit of a mouthful, but you know, <laughs> um, it does get the point across. It absolutely. I mean, I don't know what else it could be called. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it, yeah, because uh, we couldn't think of a, a shorter way of saying it. I have to say, I think I, I messaged you on on when we were discussing getting this together. As soon as this, I saw the book was coming out, and I, I um. I was sent a PDF copy before I got the um the physical one and just from the beginning it was it was as if you'd written down everything that I wanted to read <laughs> it was just like <laughs> yeah Brilliant. yeah every sentence that you put it was like yes yes this is it's almost like uh, if there was a book of of what I want this podcast to to be you know like an inspiration that this podcast is that's the, what this book is I think it sums up your experiences as a as a producer and an engineer and and what the way you've articulated in this book it's everyone should have a copy in my opinion i just think it's absolutely brilliant so i mean congratulations oh i, I agree everyone should have a copy well i can tell it's it's fantastic so yeah i mean Thank you for for taking the time to write it, and and hopefully it will sell lots of copies. I hope that you know everybody listening to this goes out and gets one because I think there's so much information in it for for people of all experience levels, and um and I I can envisage dipping in and out of it for well for for the near future. That you know all it's going to be just hanging around the studio from now on. So I'm I'm excited to have it. Yeah, I mean you know. When it comes down to it, and as I think I say in the book, you know, recording is not that difficult. Mm. You know, um, how you sort of think about what it is you want to record is a different matter. But the actual process itself is simple, and you don't need to get bogged down in it. Yeah. And uh, it's all too easy to become bogged down. Absolutely, it's especially now with you know the amount of information that floats around the uh, the. Um. I yeah. think the way that you sign off is is a really important thing. You know, you talk about uh, kind of essentially that, and you know, talk about your the records that you you've got out, and then you know, one of the final phrases is you know, ultimately, um, 
don't compare your work to others because it does no good. And if you're happy with it, then it's good. And I think that that's, I couldn't think of a better way to have ended this, you know, you know, ended that book. It's just the fact that it's all subjective. And if you like it, then it's fine. And you're, you know, we're all learning. That's right. I mean, you have to, you have to go by your own standards. Then they change over time. Absolutely. You know, yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you think you've done a good job and you don't have any reservations about that, that's the one, you know, that's the keeper. Yeah. It, it's, um, I think it's a, a really inspiring, uh, sort of aspirational way to end the book for people. Cause you know, it, as you say, it can be so easy to get bogged down in it and feel inadequate compared to, to what else is out there. But it, you know, that's not the important part of it all. Oh no! I mean, you, you know, it's pointless comparing what you're doing with anybody else's. Everybody's unique, and you know, you can't con- compare, you know, sonically what you might have done in a home studio to what might have been done in Abbey Road that took them six months to do. You know, they're different animals. They, they don't have the same reference points, so it's pointless. You know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with you know striving to get to from A to B to C and improve what you do that's different but you have to go by your own standards of whether you're satisfied with what what you've done and inevitably you won't be satisfied with everything and that's what you need to encourage you to figure out what to do next <laughs> you know i mean if i made the perfect record i wouldn't have to make another one would i <laughs> yeah that was very true <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you very much for speaking to us. Um, I, there's so much good stuff in this for for people to take away, and um, you know, I'll, I'll encourage everybody to go and check out the the record and the book. And um, yeah, thanks very much. Oh, well, thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So there we have it, the second part of my conversation with Fran Ashcroft. And I really do encourage you to go and check out the book. It's called The Analog Approach to Digital Recording and Mixing. I think you can get it as a digital download as well if you're, if you're not into physical books. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't be into physical books. Uh, I'm looking online now and it's I can see it for £13.72p, which knowing how good the book is, is an absolute bargain. Um, so yeah, definitely go and check that out. There's absolutely loads of great information in there. Um, got some more really cool guests coming up. I was about to tell you who it is, but I'm not going to because I'm mean. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got some really, really great episodes coming up. I'd like to thank you guys so much for listening and supporting this podcast. Um, you can check out stuff that I do on my website, allyouneedisdrums.com, my Instagram at allyouneedisdrums or at Joe Montague Drums. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to Adam Mallet for the artwork he designs for the podcast and to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music. And thank you guys for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will speak to you next week. Goodbye.